couple weeks ago, Ash Wednesday, we talked about the need to travel light, not carrying our burdens, the burdens of fear and anger and, and our sinfulness and frustration and doubt and all these things that we, we carry around with us and we lay them on our shoulders and, and they feel so heavy. We talked about how we need to give that to the Lord, how the Lord says, give it to me and, and I'll make your your burden light. We also need to stand that we need to get past the thinking that what we feel we want is what we actually need. There's a lot of times that we think we want something and it's not actually what we need. In doing this, we looked at the first two verses of Psalm 23. We have understood that the psalm starts out with two important words, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord. And everything that comes after those two words describes to us what the Lord is. The Lord is my shepherd and so forth. The Lord are those, those first two words are the most important because it helps us understand who the Lord is and how is the Lord to be with us. And hopefully we've humbled ourselves enough to understand that we do indeed need a shepherd we do need that shepherd in our life, that shepherd to meet my needs, that shepherd to care for my life, that shepherd who wants my soul to be satisfied. So tonight we're going to travel a little further into this psalm, Psalm 23, and we're going to see how God not only cares about our soul, but he also wants it to restore it to a healthy place because all too often our soul wanders to an unhealthy place and God wants to restore our soul to that healthy place. So for, imagine for me for a moment that you are in a jungle and the jungle is dense and the jungle is dark and, you know, jungles are like that, right? They can be dense and they can be dark. Now, how did you get into this jungle? Well, somehow your friends convinced you that you needed to take an adventure, to liven up your life. And so you went on this jungle adventure on a whim, right? Something like if you've ever seen the movie City Slickers, kind of some similar to what Billy Crystal did in that movie, right? He decided all of a sudden that he needed to take an adventure, moving cattle from one state to another. It's a fun movie. If you've never seen it, you might want to watch it. It's, a, it's a, a movie about trying to find yourself, right? But having made this decision, you decided to take this adventure into the jungle, and now you find yourself in this new and strange place, this place that's not familiar to you. Now, some of you might think, oh, that sounds interesting. I might like to travel in a jungle. Other of you might say, never would I ever go and be in a jungle, take that kind of adventure. But for our sake tonight, let's take it a step further. Now, let's say you're with a group, okay? You didn't go by yourself to this jungle. You went with a group. So you're with this group, but all of a sudden, somehow, you turn around and your guide and your group are gone. And now you find yourself alone in the jungle. You don't know where you are because you don't know the jungle, right? So you're lost and you are alone. You stopped to tie your boot maybe. When you stood up, your group was gone and you didn't know which direction they went. Did they go right? Did they go left? You weren't watching. You thought that they would wait for you, but they didn't. Now... You don't know anything except that you're stuck in the middle of a jungle. 
not knowing where to go. You have a problem, right? You're not made for that place. You're not made to be alone in the jungle. You're a city person, right? You're not equipped to be in the jungle by yourself. And yet you find yourself in this predicament. So what are you going to do? Doesn't sound like much fun, does it? I don't know. I know I wouldn't want to be in that situation. Now, as you find yourself in that situation, think for a moment, you're in the jungle, you're all alone, you're lost, you don't know where to go, you don't know where your group is. What kind of emotions will you be feeling in that moment? Maybe you feel fear. Maybe you feel anxiety. Maybe you feel anger at your group for having left you behind. Maybe you feel frustration. Maybe you feel hopelessness. Maybe you just feel like sitting down and crying like a baby, right? Because you don't know what to do. Feelings of hopelessness that you will never get out of this jungle. Now, we can relate to that feeling of hopelessness because we have times in our life when we encounter those feelings. Maybe there is failing health and we feel hopeless in that. Or maybe we have broken hearts. Or maybe we don't have enough money to pay the bills. Or, or maybe we, we work at such a, an exhausting pace that we're, we're overwhelmed and we're exhausted. Whatever it is, for many people in our world, people all around you, people that you'll encounter every day, maybe even people in your families, people feel a lack of hope. It's very common in our world. It isn't a bag that is full. It is a bag that is empty. And yet it creates a burden in our lives just like those other burdens that we talked about two weeks ago. Now, we've imagined being lost. Let's turn to what it would be feel like to be rescued, right? Somehow your, your group leader discovers that you weren't with the group, comes back to get you. What do you feel now? There's a restoration of hope, right? You're like, oh, the hope that was gone is now back because now I have my guide and my guide knows where he's going. Whew, I can get out of here and I don't have to worry about it anymore, right? And now you're probably re-energized to finish the journey that you started because your guide is there. See, to be rescued, you need a person who knows the way out, someone who can guide you in the right direction, someone with a vision that is better than yours with an understanding that is better than yours, someone that can tell you which way to go when you need to go that way. Now, if you can find a person like this, you have hope again. You have restored hope, right? And, all, and we all know that we have someone like that in our lives, right? We have someone who restores our hope, and that someone is God. Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. Beautiful phrase. He, or if you know it in the King James Version, right? He restoreth my soul. In God, we have a rescuer. In God, our loneliness diminishes because he gives us fellowship with him and with others. In God, our despair decreases because he gives us a bigger vision. In God, our confusion is lifted because we have been given guidance through God's word. That is one of the aspects of Lent, to understand that Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is our rescuer. Now, don't forget, you haven't left the jungle yet, right? That hope is restored, but you are still in the jungle, right? 
The place we are hasn't changed, but we have changed through our relationship with the guide, right? Hope has been restored because we have that relationship back with the guide. And that's what this is all about. Our hope is restored when we know that we are in relationship with God. Even in the midst of whatever we are facing, we have hope because we have that relationship with God through Christ. God comes to rescue our soul. Just as we are foreigners to the jungle, so the Bible tells us that we are foreigners to this world. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles. Those are the kind of words that the Bible uses. We are here on this earth, but the earth is not our our ultimate home, right? It's kind of a a testing ground, a, a practicing of sorts to prepare us for heaven. We are aliens here. We are exiles. Colossians 3.2, the Apostle Paul says, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Because if our real home is in heaven, and if our real relationship is with God, then we need to set our minds on the things of God. We need to be thinking about God and God's things and not get so focused on earthly things. Another way to think of it is to follow the advice of the psalmist in Psalm 121, where he says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. The Lord watches over you. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. If we're caught up too much in this world, then we will look to the world to meet our needs and to restore us whenever we're weak. But that would be a mistake because our help comes where? From God in heaven. God has the right direction. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. Jesus is the one who can cut through the underbush of our sin and the enemy of death. He defeated both, and so he can defeat those for us. Jesus is the one we need to turn to. Jesus is the one we need to trust. There's a story of a man on an African safari deep in the jungle. Again, in the jungle, right? The guide was before him. The guide was whacking away at, the, at the, all the weeds and the branches thick before them. And he was taking the machete and he was, he was whacking away as they were walking along. And at one point, the man asked in frustration, where are we? Do you know where the path is? And the guide stopped, turned around, looked at his companion, and said, I am the path. (laughs) In essence, he was making the path that they were going, right? There was no path. He was making the path. Without his guide, with this machete, there was no path. Jesus gives us hope, not by changing the jungle, but by changing us. Jesus gives us hope by giving us himself. Jesus gives us hope by promising us that he will not forsake us, but will be with us to the very end. So one of the things we do here well at SBPC is what? What do we do well here? Food. Yes, we do food, right? We do potlucks well. We do food well, right? Potlucks are nice because you can come and enjoy so much different kinds of food, right? Usually everybody makes kind of the one thing that they do well, right? And so they bring it, and and we get a variety of these wonderful foods. 
The problem is, what if you don't know how to cook? I've had that problem before. Well, I had to come to a potluck and Tammy wasn't with me. <laughs> now, every once in a while, Tammy, I have a wonderful wife, she will make something and give it to me to bring. Oh, isn't that nice of her, right? Actually, it's nicer to those who are at the potluck than to me. So if you are like me, and you are going to a potluck, and you don't really know how to cook, what do you usually sign up for? Drinks, or plates, or napkins, or right? <laughs> Something that you can actually do, right? Usually it's drinks, right? I'll bring drinks you know, before anyone else volunteers, right? You volunteer for drinks before anyone else volunteers for drinks. Well, sometimes we might feel like this when we think of the party of parties that God is planning in heaven, the big banquet that we will be a part of in the throne room of God in heaven. And the guest list will be impressive. People like Moses and Abraham and David will be there. The disciples will be there. Loved ones who have gone before us will be there. But in the midst of this impressive array of guests, think about this. There will be no egos. There'll be no power play. There'll be no guilt. There'll be no shame. There'll be no sorrow. This will all be checked at the gate before we enter heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. Even more, we will see God himself, the Bible promises us. We'll see God in all of his glory and splendor, not by faith, but by sight. Not through the eyes of someone else, but by our own eyes. Not through the scriptures, but through experience. We will not see the work of God or read the words of God as we do now. We will see him. His glory will be the light of all of heaven. His goodness will be the banquet of which we will partake. His love will be the topic of discussion. Maybe along with a thousand questions that we might want to ask him, right? There's only one hitch, and that is the price of admission is somewhat steep. In order to come into this banquet or this party, you need to be righteous. Now, that probably might throw you for a loop at that thought, right? I have to be righteous to enter heaven. I have to be righteous to come into God's presence. So if that's the, the, the level we have to meet, who can go in to this banquet I mean, I know that I do right sometimes. I do good sometimes, but not all the time. I'm not perfect. I, I'm not always righteous, right? In fact, Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 3.10, there is no one righteous, not even one. None of us are perfect. None of us do right all the time. 6 Peter 1.1, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, does what is right. Ah, there is one who does what is right, Jesus Christ. Psalm 711, God is a righteous judge. Psalm 117, the Lord is righteous, he loves justice. So I could go on and on with scriptures that talk about God being righteous, Jesus being perfect, right? God is righteous, we are not. So the big question is, how can God, who is righteous, spend eternity with those of us who are not righteous? And the truth is, if it were up to us to make ourselves righteous so that we could enter the party, then we would fail miserably because we cannot do that on our own. So what are we to do? Well, think for a moment 
If at the potluck I was required to bring some homemade food for a mission, what would I do? I already gave you the answer. What would would I do? I would ask Tammy to make it for me, right? Okay. Or I might try to cook it myself, but, you know, I have compassion on those who I'm going to see, so I would probably ask Tammy to make something for me. In the case of heaven, we ask Jesus for help. Jesus bore the cross so that through him we could be made right. We could be made righteous. Romans 6.18, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness in Christ. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. David tells us that this is an ongoing plan. As he says in Psalm 23.3, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. See how that's an ongoing thing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. The path of righteousness is narrow and steep and treacherous, but Christ is our guide, and he directs us down that path. So when we're beaten down, God rescues our soul. When we struggle to do right, Christ makes us right and guides us into that right place. And in all this, we are called to do it for the Lord. As Psalm 23.3 concludes, we do it for his name's sake. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. We need to understand that it isn't about us, it is about God. We do it for his name's sake. Now this takes humility, right? We have to put off that pride to try to do things to make us feel better, to try to make us feel better than other people. We have, to, we have to humble ourselves to say, I am living for the Lord. I am living for God's glory, not my own. It's hard sometimes to humble ourselves in that way. Right? I mean, I think one of the most difficult things is to say, have a good self-esteem, but be humble. Right? That sounds difficult, right? Have a good self-esteem, but be humble. You know how we can do that? We are children of God. Christ himself counted us worthy and loved enough to die for us. And so we understand that we are amazing as children of God, but we didn't create that for ourselves. We didn't get that for ourselves. Jesus did. So we can't be prideful about it. So we can think good of ourselves and still be humble because of what Jesus did. You know, God hates arrogance. I mean, completely hates it. Proverbs 8.13, I hate pride and arrogance. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord despises pride. God tells us through Paul in Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of vain conceit. Proverbs 16.18, pride goes before a fall. God hates arrogance. Because we haven't done anything to be arrogant about. All that we have and all that we are and all that we're capable of doing is because God made us that way. If we have some talent, if we have some skill, if we do something well, how do we get that talent? God gave it to us. And yet we boast about it like it's something that we have on our own. God makes me. God leads me. God restores me. God is with me. God's rod and staff comfort me. 
God prepares a table. God anoints my head. These are the phrases from Psalm 23. These are the things that God has done for us. How can we be prideful in that? See, God does all this. Why does God do anything for us? Why? For his name's sake. He created us. Why? He wanted to be in relationship with us. He saved us by sending his son to die on the cross. Why? Because he loves us so much that he wants to be in relationship with us. He does it for his name's sake. It isn't about bringing glory to ourselves. It's about being thankful for what God has done and bringing glory to God. This is about making our church bigger. It's about bringing souls into the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And if in the process we make our church better, well, that is a byproduct of it. But our goal is to save souls for the kingdom of God. When we let arrogance come into our lives, we become like the man who prayed this prayer. God, I thank you that the world has people like me. The man in the corner needs welfare. I don't. The prostitute on the street has AIDS. I don't. The drunk at the bar needs alcohol. I don't. I thank you that the world has people like me. Now, what do you think of that prayer? Hopefully that prayer made you a little uncomfortable. Hopefully you didn't like that prayer. I hope you didn't like that prayer. This attitude will never be pleasing to God. I mean, it wasn't even pleasing to us, right? So how could it be pleasing to God? Luke 18, 13 to 14. But the tax collector stood at the distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other who was arrogant in his offering, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. With the same intensity that God hates arrogance, God loves humility. Psalm 138.6, Though the Lord is supreme, he takes care of those who are humble. Proverbs 15.33, Humility goes before honor. Proverbs 11.2, With the humble is wisdom. 1 Peter 5.5, God gives grace to the humble. You can be humble and still think high of yourself. Because you understand that you are loved by God and important to God and gifted by God, but for the purpose of his name's sake. We can't lose focus on that. God loves humility. So let me close with this thought. Here's an important truth. Ecclesiastes 5.15 says, People come into this world with nothing, and when they die, they leave with Nothing. Right? You've heard the old adage says, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? But the real saying should be, he who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> right? People come into this world with nothing, and then they die, they leave with nothing. When you die, God doesn't, isn't going to ask, were you famous? Were you rich? Were you successful? Were you influential? Tell me about this. I want to hear about how famous. Is God going to ask you that? No way. God's not going to ask you any of those questions. God cares about two things. Two things only. Did you receive Christ into your heart as Savior and Lord? And second, 
Did you bring glory to God's name? That's all God is going to care about when you get to heaven. You know, in this world, we try to match up with others, right? We try to make ourselves feel good. We try to do all these things to be better in the world. But God only cares about two things. Two things. Did you receive Christ as your Savior? And did you give glory to God's name? If you live your life giving your soul to God daily, seeking him to rescue you, and if you let your living be guided by the right path of Jesus, Jesus as your guide, and if you do it all for the sake of God, then you will live a life well lived. When we live in this way, our burdens will be lighter because we'll be living within the confines of God himself and God will be helping us, enabling us to live this way. We will not have all the burdens because we're only care, we only care about two things. Is Jesus my Savior and my Lord? And am I bringing glory to God's name? Let us pray.